today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. The cabinet shuffle uh, that we talked about yesterday here at Queen's Park uh, saw many familiar faces moving to different positions, uh, depending on, I guess, your perspective on this. Some say demotions. Others say, well, it's just shuffling the deck. Uh, relegated to different roles. Vic Fidelli, among others, of course, uh, have been moved. Is this going to help or hurt the Ford government? And why in heaven's name are they even doing it after only one year in power? Uh, Steve Pakin writes about this. Steve, of course, is the host of The Agenda, which is seen weeknights on TVO, uh, and a blogger, of course. Uh, his blog is, what does Doug's Ford cabinet shuffle mean for the future of the government? Well, we can ask him because he's going to join us right now on The Bill Kelly Show. Morning, Steve. How are you today? I am just, I, I am still good. Let good. me put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> nice to hear from you again, Bill. Good to have you. Like It's a, it's a busy time at Queen's Park, and uh, that's right your beat. It's right down the street, of course, from where you guys do your thing. Uh, I loved the blog yesterday. Uh, because you hit the nail on the head. I mean, even our friend David Aiken, who writes for Global News, of course, uh, referenced your uh, your piece yesterday uh, as as asking the basic question: Why is he shuffling the cabinet when the problem, uh, well, might be Ford himself? Well, you just alluded to the numbers, and that's the issue, really, isn't it? I mean, Premier Ford was elected the twenty sixth Premier of Ontario uh, a little over a year ago, and at that time, the Tories almost hit forty one percent of the total vote. The last poll I saw, I saw showed them hovering around 22-23%. That is a precipitous drop in only one year's time. Really quite astonishing. You have to do a lot of things to upset a lot of people uh, over a fairly short space of time to drop that precipitously in so short a period of time. And beyond that, Bill, it's actually worse because the key problem, the numbers suggest, is the Premier himself. Uh, If you look at his approval versus disapproval numbers, The number of people who approve of the job he is doing is less than 20%. The number of people who disapprove of the job he is doing is over 73%. That is an astonishingly high number. To put that in perspective, Premier Ford is more unpopular in less than a year than it took Kathleen Wynne to be in five years. So he's underwater in a huge way, and the question becomes, if he's the problem does shifting all of the cabinet ministers into various and sundry portfolios actually change what the problem is? That's what the discussion should be about. Well, and that's, I'm sure, what a lot of these people got shifted around yesterday asking themselves, like Vic Fidelity, like Caroline Mulroney, uh, and others. Lisa McLeod comes to mind as well, figuring, you know, am I getting thrown under the bus here? It's my boss's policy. It's not my policy. I mean, these guys, you could argue, Steve, were just the messengers of of what Ford wanted to put across to to the voters. That is quite true. And if you look at it, I I can't remember. I mean, you've been around as long as I have. I can never recall a rookie government uh, shifting its finance minister out after just one budget. I don't ever recall that happening. You know, we do remember Paul Martin getting fired by Jean Chrétien, but that was after, I think, eight or nine budgets. Yeah. Uh, I do remember Greg Sorbera temporarily leaving because he was under investigation for a while, totally cleared, uh, but then came right back into finance. So, you know, we've seen... Nothing like this before in the past. And yes, uh, how does one draw the inference anything other than um, somehow Fidelity is being blamed for the government's predicament? Uh, Vic Fidelity, you know, he's a pretty stand-up guy. He's been around provincial politics since 2011. He was on the opposition benches for seven years, waiting for a chance to get to be Minister of Finance. He finally got there. He brought in a budget that I think by most accounts was not, uh, certainly the initial reaction was, this budget could have been a a heck of a lot tougher. Uh, In fact, the budget will spend $5 billion more than the last Liberal budget, which was supposedly a budget brought in by a bunch of drunken sailors. 
um, you know, uh, th- th- this is the can that Mr. Fidelli is being is being asked to carry. And of course, he was put aside. Lisa McLeod put aside. Lisa Thompson put aside to different to different and more junior portfolios. Uh, it's um, these people have all been extremely loyal to Premier Ford, but um, for whatever reason, the Premier and his team, in their wisdom, have decided they need a completely fresh start. And that's why we saw such a dramatic shuffle yesterday. I, I mean, some of this, I, I think you can justify. I mean, Lisa McLeod, for all intents and purposes, was a train wreck uh, in, in community services, and especially with the autism part of that file. Uh, she did not handle it well. The policy itself was problematic, but the way that she handled it and some of the, the comments that she made publicly, I, I, I think really kind of put her in the firing line. So I can sort of see that. But you're right. The other ones are simply following through on the policies that Ford wanted them to do. Steve, for all the years you've been covering this, maybe you could give us a little inside baseball, because this is the question... I got asked yesterday. Uh, so Vic Fidelli gets tied to the can here, and he's gone. Uh, and they say it's because of his budget. When a finance minister presents a budget, does nobody in the premier's office see it before it's presented? You know, it's very interesting because I asked that very question of some very senior people in the government because we, we know that, look, Bill, there's two kinds of premiers, right? There's premiers who've got their fingers in every kind of detail. They're up reading their briefing books till 1 or 2 o'clock in the morning. We know Doug Ford is not that kind of premier. I'm not making a value judgment about that. You don't have to be that kind of premier. He's a different kind of premier. He's, he, he's much more kind of phoning, phoning constituents at all hours of the evening. He is, he, he's much more comfortable sort of, you know, let's call it what it is, like being a man of the people. Uh, he's not a guy who's, who's going to, uh, you know, torture his brain till all hours of the, of the morning reading briefing books. Uh, so be that as it may, I wondered whether or not he, in fact, had much of a hand in the creation of the budget, because I know he's not a detail guy. And I was told, absolutely certifiably, that Premier Ford looked over every aspect of the budget before it was introduced and ultimately passed. So to say that this was Vic Fidelli's doing, that somehow Fidelli uh, needs, to, needs to carry the can for this because the Premier's office was not involved... To the best of my information, that is simply not accurate. Premier Ford did review the budget in detail before it was introduced, and if the budget was a bust, which seems to be what the Premier's office is saying, given that it's you know, shuffled its finance minister out after just one budget, if it was a bust, then surely he has to bear some of the responsibility on that as well. Well, not only that, but if there's something that he disagreed with in that budget, you'd think they would have talked about that, uh, taken it out, doing something, modified it, whatever the case might be. And even if even if Ford himself is not a policy guy, and you're right, Steve, a lot of leaders just don't go that far. Uh, somebody in his staff is, and Mr. French, who apparently everybody seems to think is running uh, the government for Mr. Ford right now. He's, uh, chiefs of staff always seem to get that that label. But somebody obviously gave this thing the thumbs up and said, yeah, go ahead, Vic, do this. And but yet he's the guy that gets tossed under the bus. And I don't want people to think that you and I are just uh, trying to come to the rescue of, of Vic Fidelli. He's a big guy and he can handle himself. I understand that. But it, it just I'm trying to understand the rationale behind all of these moves yesterday. And, and it looks to me as if it's kind of what we've seen in the past is the art of political deflection again. In other words, let's talk about the cabinet shuffle instead of my low ratings. Well, John Kennedy, the former U.S. president, had a great line, which is victory has a thousand parents and defeat is an orphan. And the fact of the matter is the budget, for whatever reason, has been seen to be a political loser in too many circles. And as a result, the Fidelli is having to carry the can for it. We understand this, Bill. This is politics. Yep. You know, at the end of the day, it's about saving the silverware. And at the end of the day, ministers serve at the pleasure of the premier, and they are, in fact, cannon fodder for the premier. And, you know, the, the conventional wisdom in politics has always been you've got to save the center. 
the, the, the premier's credibility, the premier's brand, the premier's uh, connection to the electorate is what is most important at the end of the day. And if you have to sacrifice some uh, cabinet ministers along the way in order to do that, well, c'est la vie. I have to say, uh, and you're right, we, uh, Vic Fideli doesn't need anybody defending him. He's perfectly capable of doing it himself. Having said that, he was a very classy individual yesterday, right? I mean, yep. He's been put in an unprecedented position. You didn't hear any griping from him. You didn't hear even any off-the-record griping reported in the papers today about how unhappy he may or may not be being shuffled out of the position. In fairness, the premier at his post-cabinet uh, shuffle scrum was very polite about Mr. Fidelli calling him Ontario's number one salesman, and he didn't see the shuffle of Mr. Fidelli as somehow uh, you know, defenestrating him in any way. It was much more a, I'm putting Vic in a position where he can do his thing. He's now economic development minister. He'll be traveling the world, selling Ontario to the world. He's still chairman of cabinet. Uh, he's in charge of, uh, you know, the number one guy in charge of job creation in the cabinet. So it's certainly, as these things go, a soft landing. You know, it's not like he uh, took Vic Fidelli out of um, finance and put him in government services or something like that. He's got a great job. Uh, make no mistake about that. But having said that, it, it certainly and surely must have been injurious to Mr. Fidelli's pride, and uh, he handled it like a champ. He did, uh, which I, I doesn't surprise me at all. I've had Vic on the show many times, and, and he's he's a guy that obviously is a, a stand-up guy, and he gets that. But it, it, I know a lot of the discussion about why this is happening, Steve, was focused on on the budget. Uh, I, I would suggest, though, that uh, the disapproval ratings that Ford is, is enduring right now has more to do with his body of work in the last year, not just the budget itself. It's the cuts to education. It's the cuts to public health. It's the cuts to the autism file. Uh, and, and, and I think people have simply said, look, we don't like what you're doing. We don't like how you're doing it. Uh, and, and I think maybe what this is is a cold reminder that maybe he didn't get elected as much as the, the public just booted Kathleen Wynne out, and he was the beneficiary of that. No, that's absolutely fair to say. And, I mean, let, let's also, I mean, lest this sound like a pylon on Doug Ford, let's remember, Doug Ford's one of the most successful politicians ever. I mean, let's, let's face facts. A year and a half ago, the guy wasn't even in politics. Right. He, he came out of politics. He won a leadership convention despite receiving fewer votes and winning fewer ridings than Christine Elliott, his prime challenger. He won the convention. Three months later, he's thrust into the middle of an election campaign, which he wins. Now, admittedly, that campaign was all about getting rid of Kathleen Wynne and the liberals. But, you know, you've got to be good to be lucky. And he was good enough. Right. He won a majority government. And there you are. But, yes, let's compare. You know, he's, he says he's got a, he's running a government for the people. The last major conservative government in Ontario that was for the people was Mike Harris's government. Mike Harris came into power and did many of the same things that Doug Ford is doing within weeks of coming in, right? Major program cuts, a big-time uh, um, showdown with the public service. There was a public servant strike. There were hundreds of thousands of teachers protesting in the streets. It's not like it was any quieter back then, 25 years ago, than it has been uh, in Doug Ford's first year. And yet somehow... Mike Harris did it in a way, um, and I think this speaks to what you just said. It's not just what you do, but it's how you do it. Mike Harris seemed to do it in a less bombastic, less in-your-face, more calm, steady, we're doing what we said we were going to do, um, professional, if I can put it that way, kind of way. I'm not sure that, um, that the Ford team gets that same kind of credit. They have been very macho very bombastic, very aggressive, very in-your-face, which, you know, may suit the style of Mr. Ford and Mr. French, who are at the center of this government. We are seeing, I think it's fair to say, and I'm going to write more about this next week, we are seeing 
uh, I think uh, the beginnings of a toning down of that kind of rhetoric. I don't know if you saw the press conference that Mr. Ford gave after uh, the shuffle yesterday, Mm -hmm. Bill, but he was contrite. There was no bombast there. He was very calm. Um, Cynthia Mulligan from City TV asked him the key question, you know, do you have to change? I know you've changed the cabinet, but what about you, Premier? Do you have to change? And, you know, Doug Ford a year ago would have said, are you kidding? Damn the torpedoes. Here we go. Yesterday, he said, look, and I've always said everybody in this government can get better, including me. And yes, we've made some mistakes, mistakes along the way, and, but we'll get better, including me. Now, that's a level of contrition I have not heard from this premier over the past year. And furthermore, and here's a good Hamilton angle, you know, when the autism file clearly went south, and as you point out, there have been big problems with the solution that this government has tried to put in place for the autism situation. Um, they brought in Marie Butrioni from Hamilton to, to co-chair an autism advisory council. Now, can you imagine... Uh, even two months ago, this progressive conservative government handing the reins of such an important job to a former liberal cabinet minister. I cannot. So that to me, and there's a bunch of other examples of that as well, that to me is an indication, those two things, the contrition after the cabinet meeting and the, the appointment of Butriani and some other things in that regard, that suggests to me that they are looking for a kinder, gentler tone in this second year. We'll see. Maybe those are blips. But we'll see. Well, and just to that, I know we're almost out of time. Uh, the, the three appointments that were announced, of course, uh, which were all friends or, or supporters of Mr. Ford, who were apparently they've all been rescinded now. Now, I don't know if that was because of the public backlash on social media uh, because of those announcements, or it's because we may see a kinder, gentler Doug Ford. We don't know that yet. I, I guess time will tell. But as you mentioned at the end of your piece on your blog today, Steve, uh, if he wants to get reelected, there's going to have to be a recalibration as to how he's going to approach this. Well, unlike Mike Harris, who maintained his popularity throughout that first term and was reelected four years later with an even higher percentage of the total votes cast, he got elected in 1995 with 45 percent, and he got a little touch over 45 percent four years later. Uh, Mike Harris did not see a dip of 18 points in his poll numbers in the first year. So clearly, Mr. Ford has to figure out whatever it was that Mike Harris did 25 years ago and keep that coalition together that put him into power. I mean, right now, all of the people who would never normally vote conservative, and I'm talking about people you know, who had supported the liberals for the previous 15 years, a huge chunk of them left the liberals, obviously, and some of them voted New Democrat, but some of them voted Tory as well. And those people, the link with those people has been broken. And Ford, in my judgment, has to spend the next three years trying to reconnect with those switchers. You know, those are people who are... They're from Missouri, Bill. They say, show me. Show me what you got. And those are the people he's got to reestablish trust with if he wants to have any hope of getting reelected in three years' time. Well, one of the things I'm hearing, and I'm sure you get the same kind of feedback, too, uh, those that have become disenchanted with the premier, it's that uh, unlike Mike Harris, who gave us the common sense revolution, said, here, read this. This is what I'm going to do. Ford was the antithesis of that during the campaign. He said, no, I'm not going to do any of that. And maybe the most famous uh, pronouncement he made was nobody will lose their job. Uh, and we know that's not true now. So uh, I guess the, the political axiom that he has to lean on here is don't make promises you can't keep. Well, you're right. Mike Harris did bring out the common sense revolution a full year before that 1995 election. People had really been able to go through it with a fine tooth comb. Mr. Ford, of course, inherited the People's Guarantee, which was the party platform brought in by Patrick Brown, his predecessor. But as soon as he got in, he basically said, that people's guarantee is dead, and we're going to run on a very small number of things, and here they are. So there are actually very few promises made leading into the election. He put out a number yesterday saying 85% of the promises he made, he has already kept, 
uh, if that's true, the whole promises made, promises kept mantra, it's not working right now. No, it's not. Steve Haken, of course, host of The Agenda on TVO. As always, uh, thank you so much, Steve. Always a pleasure. Great talking to you again, Bill. Take care. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.